right. Good morning, church. Hey, my name is Glenn Griner. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you've chosen to worship with us. Just as a reminder, there's a reason you're sitting in that seat you're sitting in right now. It's just God wants you to experience him. He wants you to know his goodness and his love. And he has things that he wants to do in you that you can't wrap your minds around. It's a good thing. It's a good, good thing. So I'm glad you guys came back for more. I had the honor of of kicking off this series last weekend, God's at War. It's about winning the battle over the idols for our heart. It's about loving Jesus more, needing him more. And today we're gonna talk about the gods of pleasure, which makes me totally depressed because those are like the gods that I deal with or the gods of pleasure. But so uh, please know that I'm preaching to myself. I hope this helps you and I know it helps me. Now, if you're like me, the most difficult gods are those pleasure gods, aren't they? I continually find myself bowing down to what feels good in the moment. In fact, the mantra of our culture, if we had one, it would be this, if it feels good, come on, help me out. Do it, that's right. In fact, even the preamble to our own constitution, it talks about these unalienable rights that we have, life, liberty, and Man, you guys are with it. You are awake, man. That's right, yes, absolutely. We pursue our happiness, don't we? In fact, our pursuit of happiness is killing us, isn't it? Last week, we talked about how the sin that we deal with is like the tip of the iceberg and the monolithic thing holding it all up is idolatry. So we don't have problems with our behaviors. We don't have problems with sins. We have worship problems. And here's the thing. You see, you can't fix your behavior until God fixes your heart. So last week we talked about Joshua's challenge to the people of Israel is to choose for yourselves this day whom you, were, whom you will serve. Then Joshua said, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. And they did, they chose to serve God, but they didn't completely put away the gods of Baal that they had been worshiping. And so when we jump into our text here in 1 Kings 18, this hundreds and hundreds of years have passed. And so over these hundreds of years, the worship of Baal has grown and grown and grown. And it's at an all time high. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 18, we'll begin reading in verse 18 of chapter 18. If you would stand in honor of reading God's word. 1 Kings 18, 18. Elijah said, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, what you say is good. Thank you. You may be seated. Now imagine with me that you're a parent and your child's getting a little bit older and there's these gifts that these kids love. They really, really like these. In fact, they've been begging you, begging you, please, 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 I really, really want this. My friends have it and it would just make me so happy. And and then they start laying on really thick. 
I'll get straight A's. I'll get a scholarship to college. And, and when you're old and decrepit, I'll take care of you if you'll just get this for me. You know, and sometimes these gifts, they come in little white rectangular boxes with like a little silver piece of fruit on them. Or maybe these gifts come in bigger boxes with controllers and an X on them. And so finally, after, after begging and begging and begging, you find, okay, it's time, it's time. So you decide, and maybe it's their Christmas or their birthday, and you get this gift for them, and they can tell the box is the right size. And they're getting excited as they're unwrapping it, and their grin gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and they open it, and they're jumping around, they're ecstatic, they thank you, I love you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And you're having fun watching your kid have fun. Then you go off, you help them get everything all set up, and they're off and having a good time. And then a couple of weeks roll by and you come by and you say, child, I would love to spend some time with you. But your child says, what do they say? Well, well, I'm busy. Well, what are you doing? I'm, I'm on my phone. Or, and maybe you come by another time and you say, child, your father would love to spend some time with you. And then they say, well, I'm busy. I'm playing on my game. So what's happened in that moment? What's happened is that the gift has become more important than the giver. Now, before you start elbowing your kids, we do the same thing with cars and houses and stuff like that. But we know how this works, don't we? We know how this works. You see, we take the gifts of pleasure that God has given us and we worship them instead of him. We turn them into gods. We make them his competition. And these are the gods that are most difficult to destroy. You see, when a gift becomes a God, not only do we lose some of the pleasure in it, but it also brings us pain. Think about this, the gift of rest. The Bible talks about how, um, I mean, the 10 commandments have, you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Rest is a theme throughout the entire Bible. God commands us, and when you enter into God's rest, it refreshes your soul. It encourages you, it invigorates you. But as a God, the God of rest, it ruins it. It turns it into boredom. And it makes you feel worthless. Think about, think about the gift of food. Now, I love food. I mean, food and God loves food too. I mean, heaven is like described as the banquet table. And so God gets my love for food. And so, and in fact, there's feasts that are commanded to be celebrated for the Israelite people throughout the year, like seven a year. And so, but food, it builds connection. It brings satisfaction, contentment, and joy in the midst of all of it. But as a God, Food brings emptiness. It brings pain and hurt, loneliness. What about the gift of money? The gift of money gives us security. It gives us contentment. But as a God, it's cruel. It makes us jealous. It builds fear inside of our hearts. And think about the gift of sex. It may be the best gift of all for crying out loud. But, you know, but think of that gift. When that gift, that brings you close, that fulfills your heart. It makes you feel wanted and desired and it builds connection that just can't be broken. But as a God, it brings separation and pain and hurt like we can't imagine. And so before we kind of dissect some of the things that we're talking about in 1 Kings 18, I wanna give you a little bit of background. Ahab is the king. And here's what the Bible says about King Ahab. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him, which is saying a lot because there are some pretty awful kings in his day. And then one of Ahab's claims to fame was marrying Jezebel. You probably don't know any little girls named Jezebel. And there's a reason for that because man, she was scary, scary, scary. So when they got married, the first thing that Ahab did was put her in charge of religious affairs. 
And so she decided that she was going to send out an execution party, go hunt down all the prophets of God and kill them. And then she built a temple and an altar to her God, Baal. And worshiping Baal had overtaken the country. It was ruining Israel's life, tearing families apart. At some point, sexual abuse is even a part of their worship. It was cutting them off from God. And Elijah was the one person calling Israel back to God. If you remember from last week, we talked about how God is jealous, how he has zeal in his heart, passion in his heart for you. And God loves you and me with an everlasting love. Which leads us to our first thought today. Don't expect God to bless his competition. You see, there's all these things that can compete with God for the throne of our heart and we can't expect God to bless them. God sent this message to the people of Israel to Elijah. This is in the very first verse of chapter 17. Check it out on the screen. It says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years, except at my word. So here's what's going on. The people had been worshiping the God Baal and all of Israel had been worshiping him. And then all this comes up and God says, you might think he's just trying to punish them. He's just trying to, you know, kind of give them a time out through no dew and no rain. But see, here's what we learned about Baal. Baal is the God of the dew and the rain. He's the God of the sky. So he controls the clouds. He's the God of lightning. And when he parts the clouds, the sun shines through and he's the one who brings the rain. And so, so God's saying, you wanna worship the God of rain and dew? No dew and rain until I say so. And so God does the same kind of things in our lives. He may not cause a drought, but what he does is when something happens, when something grabs our hearts to such a degree that it removes our focus off of him and onto that thing, God can remove his blessing in that area. And so sometimes there's things in our hearts and we, oh, we, when we start chasing after those things instead of chasing after God, God will remove his blessing. That was just like a gut punch for me. It was just an aha moment for me. So don't be surprised, friends, if you put your marriage ahead of God Now, marriage is like God's idea. It's a good thing. But when you put your marriage before God, you can expect problems in your marriage. If you put your work, your business, your money ahead of God, you can expect problems there as well. And the same thing is true when we put our own leisure, our own happiness ahead of God. We'll find problems there as well. And I could give multiple, multiple examples of this, but but one of them is, is just the effects of exposure to pornography. What it does, you think it would increase someone's desire, but it actually decreases your desire and dramatically decreases your own satisfaction in the act. And in fact, it even has physiological implications. It ruins your abilities. And that's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence at all. Maybe a little bit bit less intensive illustration is this. Maybe you're not even married, but you're in a relationship and that relationship becomes more important than God. And what happens is that you begin to want to control that. And your jealousy and your desire to be with that person actually pushes you further apart. So think about it, friends. Is there an area of your life that's drawing too much of your heart, too much of your attention, and God's removing his blessing in that area? Because here's what happens. God always steps in because he knows that eventually, if we keep giving in to these gods of pleasure, they will eventually steal our love for him. This is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. Look in verse 20 and 21. Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel 
And Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, if your Bible is separated into paragraph form, this sits all by itself. But the people said nothing. And if I'm retelling a story or you're retelling something that happened, you're not gonna say, well, this person said nothing and that person said nothing and that person said nothing. So there's extreme significance to the people of Israel saying nothing. And I get it because I find myself here a lot. You see, they didn't say anything because they wanted both. They wanted the security of knowing God, but also the pleasure of being able to worship Baal like they wanted to. And they wanted both. They didn't want to make a choice. And sometimes we can get confused. We think that the throne of our heart is actually like a love seat. And say, so, hey, Jesus, you just snuggle up here. Just you, Jesus, and my screen and my TV. Or Jesus, uh, right, come sit right next to here. And, and, you know, this is my God of pleasure and rest and leisure. You just enjoy that. You get, the two of you will, will get along just fine. And we forget to realize this thing about thrones. Thrones are single occupancy pieces of furniture. There's only room for one on a throne. And it's especially true for your heart and for my heart. There's not even room for me and God on the throne of my heart, only him. You know, every good organization has an org chart. So you know the flow of authority and everything. And I've always kind of imagined an org chart for me personally. And there's God, he's the CEO. And then there's me, I'm the VP, you know. And then you go over and here's my wife, here's the kids, here's my family and all you guys and my friends. I say, God, you know, you, you take first, your first place in my life. And then God says, I have no interest in being first place. I wanna be the only one, the only one. And so I want you to think about the 10 commandments. The very first commandment is this. God actually wrote this with his own finger. The very first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. And I always thought it was like a progression, you know, like God was first in line. And there've been so many times in my life and I felt really good when I said, God, you are first in my life. And that feels good. And so, and I think about God being first at what's well, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And so Jesus has no interest in leading the Congo line of your life. You see, when this first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me, it means no other gods in my presence at all. And so if God's handing you and me an org chart, it's got three letters on it, G-O-D, and it's written in the blood of Jesus. And that's all we need. That's all we want. In fact, it's more than we could ever want. You see, we were designed to worship God. And when we worship other things, it throws our lives out of balance. Which leads us to our second big thought today. It's this, what is the cost of chasing your God of pleasure? And man, we pay a high price for our pleasure, don't we? Oh my goodness. Whether it's money or time or emotions, we pay a high price. And the people of Israel certainly did as well. Look in verse 25 in chapter 18 as it comes up on the screen. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. And call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. And my man Elijah, he can trash talk. 
I would like Elijah. I would not play basketball with him, but I would love hanging around Elijah. He says, shout louder. He said, surely he is a God, wink, wink. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy. Now we have to write a little thank you note to the translators of the NIV because they're kind of cleaning it up here. When it says your God is busy, it really means maybe your God is doing his business. Maybe your God needs some Metamucil. Maybe he needs some more fiber so that he can come and attend to your needs. Isn't that great? Or maybe he's on vacation or traveling. Shout louder, Elijah said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he must be awakened. And they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Is that just the creepiest picture? I mean, how barbaric. Who in the world would cut themselves with swords and spears and knives until blood's all over them? That's just so, so sick. But when we think about it, we bleed for our gods of pleasure. We may not grab a knife, we may not grab a sword, but we certainly bleed for our gods of pleasure. I've mentioned social media, you know, this whole thing that's designed to bring us closer together. But here's what we found, friends. Addiction to social media has catastrophic problems. It causes depression and brings loneliness to our hearts. And just think about alcohol. This is actually in the Bible. Not too many preachers talk about this, but Paul told Timothy to, hey, take a glass of wine at night for your stomach and for your health. But what happens is sometimes we might go to that not for our health, but for our emotions to help us feel better. And then all of a sudden, the thing that's supposed to make us healthy is making us sick. And we all know people, maybe you yourself, you've bled for this God and it causes so many problems. And of course, you know, when it comes to sex, you know, the the common thought in our day, you know, when you're feeling close to someone and you're getting to know them better and you're really liking them and it's time to take your relationship to the next level, even though you're not ready for marriage. And, and he says he loves you and your heart quickens and your skin flushes and you decide, okay, it's time. And then afterwards, it's different. It's like, that's mostly what he's interested in. And instead of feeling loved and connected, you feel used. So friends, we bleed, we bleed. It reminds me of verse 29, midday past. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered, no one paid attention. The gods of pleasure promise everything and offer nothing but pain and brokenness. But the good news, friends, is that no matter how many mistakes we make, God never gives up on anyone. He's never given up on me and he'll never give up on you. Because number three, I want you to see this on the screen. God wants your heart. He wants the very core of who you and I are. He wants our passion and our desire to be solely focused on him. I want you to look at verse 30 as we read this block of scripture together. So then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. He wanted them to come closer. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. This was an old altar that he rebuilt. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. 
with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a trench around large enough to hold two seahs of seed, two big bags. He arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Four large jars. And then a third time, they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts to be turned to him. He wants us to chase after him with all that we are. This whole showdown, this whole competition was completely God's idea. The people were not reaching out to God at all, but God was reaching out to them. And friends, God will come to you even if you don't wanna come to him. God's continually chasing us. No matter how hard we might be running from him, God is chasing after you and chasing after me to draw us to himself. Now, if you're like me, you might, and you've read this passage before, you might think that the most powerful part of this whole chapter is, are these verses that we're getting ready to read. But I beg to differ. A couple Fridays ago, I was sitting in my office and after I was getting ready for last weekend and getting ready for this week and I read uh, the first verse in chapter 18. Just listen to it. And it says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And God said, go prepare, present yourself to Ahab and I will send the rain. And I just read right over it. And I read it again. And I heard this whisper from God in my heart. For me and for you. It's time to send the rain. It's time to send the rain of my love. It's time to send my joy. It's time to send my strength, my courage, and my hope. It's time to send the rain. And then this thought came into my mind. But before you receive my rain, you need my fire. You need my fire. In verse 38, see it on the screen. After Elijah's prayer, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. You see, the fire of God calls us to worship. The fire of God calls us to praise. It calls us to delight in him. And so when God sends the fire, he wants to consume everything in our lives. Just think about what happened. Elijah, he called the people to come close. And then this fire, this tunnel of fire came out of heaven and it burned up the wood. It burned up the bull. It burned up the fur. It burned up the bones. It burned up the water. It even burned up the stones. Stones melt at 1200 degrees Celsius. And not even the soil was left underneath it, just a crater in the ground. And God is saying, 
I want everything. And he's also saying this. He's saying, I am more than you can ever imagine. I am more awesome than your mind could ever dream up. And I am here with you and I am here for you. And the people of Israel responded by saying, Lord, you are God. You are God. They didn't repent, but they did. They put Jesus first. That's the most important thing is they put the Lord their God very, very first. The fire of God stirs us to worship. God will settle for nothing less than all of you. Well, I want to do a little experiment because when we're thinking about enjoying God, when we're thinking about experiencing the pleasure that he has for us, and so I think this might help us a little bit. And so you guys, you have one job. And so your job is to focus in your mind and not have any thoughts about snakes. No thoughts, don't think about snakes, don't think about little snakes, don't think about big snakes, don't think about snakes that strike you. Quit looking at the screen. Snakes are evil. If you look at snakes, you're evil. You're snake brain people. Come on, come on, quit thinking about snakes. You gotta stop that. Come on, no, no. Okay, snakes creep me out. Oh my goodness, okay. If I've gotta think about something good before we move on, I must confess. Now here's something really good. My daughter, Allie, she makes the best chocolate chip cookies. Oh my goodness. And it's the, like no margarine in our house. Get that margarine out of here. She knows just the right temperature to mix that up. And then when it's mixed just right, she puts it on the cookie sheet, sticks it in the oven, sets the timer, but she watches it. Because she knows just by looking when it's just the right amount of brown on top that it's still chewy on the inside. And then she pulls them out. And then I come in there, she says, dad, get out of here. Those are for my friends or whatever. They have to cool, but she doesn't know that I have superpowers because I can take that cookie, that fresh hot cookie and stick it on a napkin because it'll burn my hand and I can look at it. And I know just by looking at it when the internal temperature is just low enough that it won't burn my tongue. And that's when I eat it. Oh, the chewy, the chewy goodness, the chocolate, just, oh, it's so good. Now, maybe you're not a chocolate chip cookie person. Maybe you really like chocolate cake. And man, my Aunt Vonna Merle, and that's really her name, my Aunt Von Amrill, she made some mean chocolate cake and this cake was best served warm. Like just warm enough where the icing isn't completely melted, but it's a little soft. And you serve this cake in a bowl because you need a big old scoop of homemade vanilla ice cream right on the top. And you take your spoon and you run it through the ice cream and run it through the cake and then you put it in your mouth and the warm and the cool and the sweet and the rich just coats your tongue and feels so good all the way down your esophagus to your stomach, glory, hallelujah. <laughs> now question, anybody thinking about snakes? You see, this is the point. This is the point. It's not enough just to resist. Think of this verse from Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not enough just to push back. Idols are not removed. They are replaced by something better. Last week, we talked really quickly about the fruits of the spirit, how love is the most important. And that's the first one. And there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we can think self-control is last because it's least important, but it is not least important. It is the hardest. But see, what happens is self-control, it's like the gut punch. It's the kickstart that helps us receive more of God's love. And so when you and I, when we say no to those gods of pleasure, when we say no to those things out of God's design for us, we're able to experience more of him and we have more of his love. Well, when you've got more of God's love, obviously you're gonna have more of his joy. And how can you respond other than by living with more of God's peace 
And of course, that's gonna make you more patient and all the way through back around to self-control, bam, for you to receive more of God's love. Here it is, friends, number four, the last point today. God must be your greatest pleasure because when you encounter the pleasure of the living God, nothing else will satisfy your heart. He knows your need better than you do. All the lesser gods of pleasure fade away. Psalm 37, four is one of my favorite verses. I want you to see it up on the screen. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I must confess, there's been a time or two in my life when I like to kind of treat this verse kind of like my swipe, you know, my fast pay. And so, God, I'm just so happy. I'm just so delighted in you, God. And you and I, God, we really need a Tesla Roadster because we need to go from zero to 60 in 1.9 stinking seconds. Or maybe that's not quite your flavor. Maybe you're more like, God, I'm just so happy in you. and, And I'm so glad that I'm going to win the HGTV dream home and we're packing our bags, we're moving to Hilton Head. But see, we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. When your delight is in the Lord, his desires become your desires. And then when his desires are your desires, he fulfills them. And here's this other thing. When we come to God and we make our worship and our pleasure about him, we received a pleasure that can only be limited by him. And when we focus on ourselves, we get a me-sized pleasure. I don't know how tall you are. I'm 6'4". Well, I used to be 6'4", but that's how tall I say I am now. doesn't matter how tall or how short you are. Imagine how big God is. God's so big that he holds the universe like in the palm of his hand. This infinite mass of creation just sits right in the palm of his hand. And so when it comes to you-sized pleasure, God-sized pleasure, I'm gonna choose God-sized pleasure. He wants us to experience his goodness and his grace. And my friends, I wanna challenge you to use your own selfishness to help you draw nearer to God. Use your own selfishness to keep you from giving in to the gods of pleasure. And here's how this works. Sometimes I'm sitting in the room and I'm looking around, I'm like, man, they're really feeling it. I'm I'm not feeling it right now. And they've got their hands up and... I just really want God's joy in me. I was like, wait a minute, I need to focus on God instead of me. And as I kind of go through these emotional and mental gymnastics, about just about the time that I'm not really even on my own radar and my delight really is in the Lord, I'm really concerned about the pleasure I'm giving him, that's when God's joy breaks out in my heart. And so use your selfishness for God's advantage. And remember, self-control is the catalyst that helps us receive more of God's love and his grace. So here we are, friends. We pay a high price for our gods of pleasure. We must never forget that God longs for us and wants our heart. And when we come to him, he is more than we could ever imagine. I wanna call the band up and as they come up, um, I'm gonna read just a few verses from Psalms. I wanna really challenge you to engage this emotionally and spiritually. I, wanna, I want you to put yourself in these words and, and, and experience yourself expressing praise and love to God in the midst of this. Psalm 84.1 says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord and my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 16, 11 says this, you make known to me the paths of life. 
and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 63 says this, you God are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Well, church, would you bow your heads with me? Oh, Jesus, why do we settle for so little when we have you, when we have your love? So help us, God. Help us to choose you above the things that distract us so often. We long to give our hearts to you. Maybe you haven't really made that commitment to follow Jesus because you don't wanna miss out on some of the things that you like in life. Maybe for the first time you've realized that every good thing comes from God and that he has nothing but the best for you. And maybe you're ready to make that commitment to him and you know that, that he loves you. Maybe you can pray, pray this prayer in your mind right now and say, Jesus, I, I confess, I've been running from you. I've done wrong things. I've thought wrong things and I need your forgiveness. And I do believe in my heart that you are the Messiah, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you love me so much that you want a relationship with me that lasts forever. Thank you that your joy is my strength. And not only that for here and now, but I also get to look forward to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know what it is. You know what that God of pleasure is that keeps yanking your attention off of God. And maybe like the people of Israel, you're ready. You're ready for the fire. You're ready to see God consume everything in your life and you wanna walk away from it. You wanna walk to his presence, away from those things that have held you back. And as I pray this prayer, I'm gonna challenge you to stand. Now, just at the end of the prayer, everyone will be standing, but perhaps you wanna take a stand right now in your heart. You wanna say, I'm saying no to these things that tempt me and I'm taking a stand for God right now. Just stand to your feet. No one else is looking around. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Good for you, good for you, good for you. Yes, we're saying no to the things that tempt us. We're saying no, good for you. We're saying no to the things that draw us away from God so that we can serve him with all of our hearts. Yes, good for you, good for you, good for you. Yes, yes. So Jesus, we give all of ourselves to you. We thank you that your reign is coming to us. And Lord, I ask that you just encourage all my friends. Let's all stand together. And Jesus, as we stand to our feet, we give you the glory to your name. We give you the praise that you desire. And as we delight in you, send your delight to us as we reflect your glory back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.